630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Riley's going to keep it and then throw. And Adarius Bowman's got a pair. Touchdown Eskimos. This one from 51 to tie it. Ball is up. And it is through. Sean White has done it again. Comes off the boards. Two on two Oilers. McDavid has a step to the net. Back here. Short side scores. home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Well, welcome aboard. Good to have you along for the ride tonight. The Edmonton Eskimos have clawed their way back to 500. Oh, let me see uh, who's next on the schedule. Oh, it's uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Okay, what's their record? Oh, one and seven. My goodness. Eskimo show coming up from 8 to 9 tonight with Dave Campbell. The Olympics in the books. Canada, 22 medals, improving on the 18 from London. Is Canada on the verge of remaining a significant medal threat at the Summer Olympics? We'll be joined by a, a couple of former Summer Olympians later on in the show tonight to get their opinions on that. Interesting stuff going on in hockey, in the Ontario Hockey League. They're trying to curtail fighting. You fight three times, not in a game. You fight three times in a season, you get a two-game suspension. We'll talk about that. I'm curious to get your opinion on that, too. Uh, It is Inside Sports on 630 Chad. My name is Reed Wilkins. Of course, you can always reach me here by texting 630-630. The open line phone number is 780-496-0063. Going to be a fun show. And, yes, don't forget, Dave Campbell has the Eskimo show from 8 to 9. And the game against the Riders is Friday August 26th against Saskatchewan, 6 o'clock for the pregame show here on this station, 8 o'clock for the drop of the puck. It is that uh, time of year. Hockey men and women starting to get back to work, season counting down. I know Connor McDavid skating at the uh, BioSteel camp in uh, Toronto. Uh, Darnell Nurse on the ice with him there. His former teammate, Taylor Hall, also on the ice. I'm sure it's the time of year, uh, you know, say like a, a coach from the American Hockey League who probably spends his summers in Canada could be driving back to somewhere in the southern United States to get ready for his upcoming season and training camp. So, well, of course, we'll be ramping up the hockey talk uh, on this program as we uh, as we go along, and we will have some later on tonight. W- I want to do a lot of football and Olympic stuff o- off the top as well. I will say this. Uh, do you heard Daniel Stilwell? Reading it in the uh, in the newscast, incredible numbers uh, for the Edmonton Marathon this weekend. They had the full marathon, they had the half marathon, they had a 10K and a 5K. I love running that event. You start and finish right by the Shaw Conference Center downtown. Really good morning. I, I got to say, I, I did the half marathon. That's 21.1K. Uh, I, I am a completer, not a competitor. Finished the race satisfied with my time i'm under two hours that's that's fine with me i last 4k were tough though yesterday and and certainly you feel some soreness throughout the day as most people know it's it's often worse the next day so i i actually recorded myself i took some audio of myself this morning getting out of bed and uh, walking to the washroom Yeah, 
Yeah, so it's a little, little strenuous getting mobile this morning, but I'm okay. I'm okay. And I tell you what, throughout the show, if you ran yesterday, uh, let me know about your experience and how you feel about the run and everything. You can text 630-630. Tell you what, when somebody makes an effort to text the show as soon as it starts because they, they, uh, they are so eager to uh, get their thoughts on inside sports, I, I got to read that person's text. It is Jody saying, Reed, I am still completely baffled by CFL coaches continuing to not to go for two-point conversions. The kick point seems to be missed quite often. I don't have the stats, but it seems that going for two has significantly better odds. My pet peeve in an otherwise pretty entertaining CFL season. That is from Jody. Jody, I have to admit, when they put this rule in for last year, I thought coaches would go for two more often than they do. It's from the three-yard line. You should be able to gain three yards on most Canadian Football League plays. I think it comes down to game situation and then not having to chase that extra point. I score first. Maybe I miss the two-point convert. You score next. You kick the single point. You're up 7-6. I think that's why. Here's the thing. Coaches will often make the conservative decision. I, I think that goes for coaches in most sports. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are coaches listening who say, no, 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 I don't do that. I think most coaches, though, will revert to the conservative decision unless faced with no other choice. Or in, in football, you know, they have their two-point convert charts. If you're up by this much with this much time to go or this is the situation in the game, go for two. Otherwise, just take the one. They've made the two-point con or the, the single point, the, the kick, harder by moving it back to the 35. It is still made over 80% of the time. So anyway, Jody, I appreciate you texting. The Eskimos uh, had plenty of points despite a poor start against the Argos on the weekend. Eskimos will start first and 10 from the 35-yard line. Motion starts. Roddy quickly turns to the right side, and it's intercepted. And it's going to be 6-0 Toronto, just like that. Make it 7-0 Toronto. Oh, right to the end zone, and it is a touchdown for the Toronto Argonauts. What a way to start the game for Keon Raymond. And it looked like, oh my goodness, here we go. The Eskimos are going to fall into a hole. They're not going to be able to execute. And what's going to happen today? Is this going to be another tough game? And uh, they took it over. Now, defensively, I think you knew the Eskimos had a pretty good chance to be successful in this game because the, the Argos quarterbacking situation is a mess. It is a mess with Ricky Ray injured. But, I mean, the ex once the Eskimos got rolled, they dictated the game. They got a pass interference call that helped them on one of their long touchdown drives in the first quarter. But uh, And just as they rolled along, they were pushing that Argo defense around. Riley, 26 for 31 for 362 yards, three touchdowns, couple picks, one of which was uh, on a tip ball. I don't really hold that one against them too much, and it just turned into a blowout. There's the snap. Riley pulls it away from White. He wants to go deep. He throws. That is complete across the 10 to the 5 and into the end zone. Touchdown, Eskimos, as it is Nate Kuhorn who comes up with the grab, coming across the middle and takes it to the end zone. First touchdown of the year. 
for Kuhorn. Riley will take the drop. He looks and waits, and he wants to go to the end zone for Bowman. Touchdown, Eskimos. Adarius Bowman's got it, and the Eskimos increase their lead. First down, Eskimos just inside the 20. Riley drops, pumps once, waits, throws. He's going to the corner of the end zone at the back. And it's a touchdown, Eskimos. Another one. This one for Darrell Walker as Mike Riley has his third touchdown pass of the football game. And the Eskimos starting to run away with this event. Riley's going to keep it himself. And he's now thrown for three and run for one. Mike Riley gives the Eskimos another touchdown. That's the ball game, folks. A convincing victory for the Edmonton Eskimos. 46-23. A bad start goes very right in the end for the Eskimos. Mike Riley, eight games into the season, 2,843 yards, leads the CFL, 14 touchdown passes, tied for first in the league. He played 10 games last year, uh, had 2,400 yards, so he's 400 uh, behind what he has now, and he had 15 touchdown passes. Uh, I put that out on Twitter, and a lot of people said, well, they had a better record last year. Fair enough. But I, I think the offense can be pretty dangerous. John White will see. He is day-to-day, obviously had the big cut on his hand against the Argos. If he can't go on Friday, it's not going to be Calvin McCarty as the feature back. It'll be Shakir Bell, but that'll be one of the storylines to watch this week for the Edmonton Eskimos. All right, here's what we're going to do. A little bit of an Olympic recap. We'll talk to somebody who was there. Angela Colcott from our station in Calgary, News Talk 770, and 2004 Olympic gold medalist Edmonton's own Lori Ann Munzer with some of her takeaways from the game, too, as we roll along inside sports on 630 Chet. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. All right, thanks for tuning in tonight. By the way, the Blue Jays are off. They'll play the uh, Angels tomorrow. The Jays are half a game up in the American League East on Boston, two and a half up on Baltimore. Those teams in action tonight. Baltimore leading uh, the Nationals 4-2, and Boston is up 1-0 on Tampa Bay. That's in the top of the fourth. Your scoreboard is presented by Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, call 310-GLASS today. From this afternoon, how about this one? The L.A. Dodgers beat the Cincinnati Reds. 18-9. (laughs) The Dodgers out hit the the Reds 21-14. The Dodgers hit seven home runs, three of them by Adrian Gonzalez. Wow. 18-9, the Dodgers over the Reds. All right. Well, the Olympics are in the books. Uh, A lot to talk about here. I want to kind of put a cap on some things. Angela Cocott from our sister station in Calgary, News Talk 770, was in Rio. Angela, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Reed. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, welcome back to Alberta. (laughs) (laughs) Your your time in Rio, uh, long enough away from home, or what was the vibe like down there? (laughs) Rio was great. They put on a great party for sure. And I was only there for the last week of the game. So we left on Friday the 12th, and we returned yesterday, Sunday, around noon. And, of course, for going to Rio, it's not as if there's many direct flights. So we flew through Houston and then had about a three-hour layover and then nine hours to Rio. So in all, you're flying overnight. I think it was about 16 hours of travel to get there. But 
as I've said before, when you look at Rio on a map, you're going a long way. So our connection through Houston was easy compared to some people who were going through Toronto, Sao Paulo, you know, all over the place. But it really was a, a pretty good party for the Olympics, I have to say. Now, w- would you say, you know, you, you, you saw mainly just sporting events or did you get a look at the the other side of Rio? Because, of course, one of the stories going into this was like, well, all these great Olympic facilities, but there's so much poverty and, you know, a lot of people aren't going to be able to enjoy the Olympic Games. Did you get a sense of any of that? You know what? You just have to drive from the airport to your hotel to see the poverty for sure, because Rio is probably two different economies, the poor and the rich. And so it was, in some areas, they put up big posters or boards to be able to kind of protect or you wouldn't be able to see the poor neighborhoods but they can't hide the whole city so yes there there is a lot of poverty in rio and um you know i i know there was a lot of criticism going into rio in fact i wrote a blog today that i said you know love the olympics but i still don't support them i i think that uh, the ioc is the one who should be blamed in even choosing rio I know it was in 2009, and Rio and Brazil, they were a hot economy, and things have changed a lot since then. But I have a lot of criticism over the IOC and the fact that it went to a country and a city where even back then there were sewage problems, and Rio promised to clean that up. There's always these promises that no one's held accountable. So, yeah, it, it's, it's nice that they've got a new subway line. It's nice that they've got a couple of major highways, so at least there are some legacies left behind from the Olympics. But a lot of criticism that that kind of money could have gone a long way, even the money that goes into, you know, creating the games and the venues could have gone a long way in just helping the people of Rio in, in bigger ways. Did you get to talk to to any uh, locals and, and get their sense of, you know, kind of what just you described on one hand this, but on the other hand, <laughs> you know, what... Yeah. You, know? you know what, Reed, the biggest... Problem you have when you travel is if you aren't fluent in every language, it's tough. Now, right. if you think about it, and it's Portuguese, which in North America we have French, we have Spanish. You know, I can kind of work my way around that. Portuguese is is another language, of course. So even if you said, "Can I talk to locals?" Well, not a lot of locals even spoke English. You'd go to restaurants and you were thrilled if you had a waiter who spoke a bit of broken English. And you know, sometimes you're thinking, "I can't believe you." you don't know any English, but when you realize they're a South American country, it's not as if they get a lot of English tourists, whereas if Europeans, you know, they know that there's going to be a lot of English tourists, so they they have better grasp of the language. So even when people say to me, what were the locals saying about the Olympics? The locals that were able to share with us, they loved the Olympics. And the Brazilians, I have said, should receive a gold medal for just being the best spectators. I don't know if, and 88 Olympics goes back a long way for me, even I was here, and I can't remember if all of Calgary was crazy at every event. In Rio, it didn't matter if there wasn't a Brazilian (laughs) even competing. (laughs) They were just, they get the whole venue going crazy. So they have, they're called the Cariocas, the the residents of Rio, and they say there's, there's the karaoke vibe, karaoke vibe, because they just have this 
energy. And so I think when you did speak to them, it wasn't as if I went to the favelas, the slums. I was just speaking to the Portuguese who were either volunteering or were at venues. And they just loved the games. You can tell that they were thrilled they had a chance to host it and open their doors to the world. So, you know, it's definitely not fair for me to say that, oh, all the Rio Brazilians loved it. I'm sure there was lots of criticism, but the the ones who were at the venues, they definitely had a great time. Angela, what can you tell me about the Canadian content, not in terms of the performances and the athletes, because we all saw those on TV, but I mean, it's always cool for me, you see a Canadian flag hanging, you know, in, in the athletics venue, or you see Canadians watching, the, you know, the, the, the volleyball. Were you, were you seeing enthusiastic Canadians everywhere you went? Well, you know, pretty much. And it, it wasn't as if I was at uh, events that were the higher. I, we arranged this trip very quickly a couple of weeks beforehand. We were with a, a group of uh, equestrians, people from Spruce Meadows. So when we were at the equestrian event, it was great because there was about 60 Canadians there cheering on the Eric Lamazes, you know, the Amy Millers, Tiffany Foster. So we, that was great. And then when we went to, I mean, I went to badminton. There weren't many Canadian flags there, but I loved badminton. What a great sport. We went to the France-Canada basketball women's semi. Was it the quarterfinal? I can't remember. But at least we saw a few more Canadian flags there. But they usually were pretty much outnumbered by by all the Brazilian flags, or in that case, there were some French. And understanding also it's a long way to go. So even for some of those teams, it wasn't as if they had huge crowds of fans because they usually had more Brazilian fans. But it was was great to be at, um, I was at the duet synchronized swimming finals. And throughout the... uh, pool the venue there it was great to see pockets of canadian flags so you go a long way from home you sure do love to see your canadian flag awesome stuff well it sounds like you had a great experience angela i know you've been incredibly busy so thank you for making time for us on inside sports tonight you bet reed nice talking to you Angela Cocott from News Talk 770, our chorus station in Calgary. Still ahead, a couple of former Summer Olympians with their thoughts on Canada's performance and where we go from here. Plus, is it the demise of fighting in our great game of hockey? All that discussion ahead on Inside Sports. This is Darius Bowman from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Darius Bowman leads the CFL in receptions and receiving yards. 59 grabs for 875 yards this season. Second in the CFL, Darrell Walker. The Eskimos back at work today. They will host Saskatchewan coming up on uh, Friday. That is going to be Armed Forces Appreciation Night at the Brick Field at Commonwealth Stadium. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. More on the Eskimos from 8 to 9. Dave Campbell will have the Eskimos show. We'll talk a little bit about a, a new initiative to curb fighting in the Ontario Hockey League coming up in about half an hour. But we want to kind of put a cap on the uh, Summer Olympics. Canada doing very well. 22 medals in all, 15 of them bronze, four gold, three silver. And for some perspective on that and uh, where we might go next, I'm pleased to welcome to the show two former 
Canadian Summer Olympians. First of all, it is Lori Ann Munzer who won gold in Athens in 2004 in cycling. Lori Ann, welcome to Inside Sports. You're on with Reed. How are you doing? Awesome, awesome. Good evening. Good. And you also were in the, uh, what, 2000 Olympics, correct? 2000 and the 2004, yes. Yeah, okay, awesome stuff. And also on the line, Peter Ogilvie, who uh, was an Olympic sprinter back in 1992 and 1996. Peter, welcome back to the show. How have you been? Great, Reed. Thanks for uh, for inviting me again. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's interesting to get your perspectives. I should should mention, obviously, you're you're both uh, you're both Edmontonians. Uh, Lorianne, you're. Uh, well, I mean, I guess you're at Edmontonian. You know, not not originally, but just before we get into some stuff, tell tell people how your uh, your athletic journey took you to Edmonton, Lorianne. Well, I'd like to consider myself an adopted Edmontonian. <laughs> I grew up uh, what they consider down east being Toronto, and uh, you know, I had dreams as a kid when I was racing up and down the street to go to the Olympics one day. Little did I know, you know, a couple accidents, a couple chance meetings, met Des Dickey, the national coach at the time. Uh, got injured, hurt, decided there was an opportunity to come to Edmonton because there was a velodrome. You can only train on a straight, flat road so often because that's the power component, but the technical, tactical portion, well, you need to be on a you know 36 to 45 degree oval banked track, and that's what Edmonton had, a, a legacy from the 78 Commonwealth Games. So that is what brought me here. Uh, the end of this month, it'll be 17 wonderful years. Awesome stuff. Was that the only velodrome in the country at the time, or was that just the best one to be on? Um, it was probably the rideable best outdoor track that we had at the time. Uh, Calgary has one. There's been one since in Bromont, Quebec. There's another one um, out in in BC. Victoria had the Commonwealth Games track for '94, but um, you know Winnipeg was torn down. They brought in a transportable. One for uh, the Pan Am Games in '99, but Edmonton is still here. Okay, awesome stuff. Uh, a, a lot I want to talk about with uh, you two, Peter. I'll, I'll start this this question with you. Um, I, I mean, you, you see the this Summer Games team t- with uh, with 22 medals, and uh, you know several other athletes in those four, five, and six spots, and uh, some teams making quarterfinals or, or semifinals. The country seems pretty giddy about it. Uh, as as an ex Olympian uh, yourself, I mean, is this an Olympic Games to be celebrated? Oh, I, I believe so. I'm mean, in terms of the depth of the overall uh, Olympic team. Uh, it's been incredible to watch these Olympic Games in Rio, just to see how diverse the the program is, and, uh, and certainly we can we can talk for hours about the uh, fantastic women's program really stepping up. It, it's been a privilege to watch our Canadians, and you know, in terms of specific individual teams, in terms of our athletic teams, we're seeing diversity amongst our, our medalists, and not just one or two events, but in three or four or five. Uh, so it's great to see this young crop of Canadian talent doing so well. It's uh, it, w- it was a fantastic experience to see this, uh, like everybody else on the TV. But uh, I-, I think we're going to see the legacy of of this moving forward towards Tokyo in 2020. Uh, Loriana, I want I want to ask you this because. You know, there's a lot of talk about uh, you know funding and and coaching and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I mean, like I said, Peter, uh, an Olympian in '92 and '96, you in 2000 and 2004. Um, 
so I mean, do you, do you feel athletes are better supported? And I don't just mean money, but that's part of it. But do you feel athletes are better supported, Lorianne, even than when uh, you were competing, you know, 15 years ago? I think there's been great gains made. I think it's taken a lot more time than what the public really expects. I don't think people really understand all of the costs and it's not just the time. You know, it, it, the programs are coming, but we need that consistency, not just for select few athletes that are really, really doing well, but also to build it up, you know, grassroots level, national levels, provincial levels, and international levels. So you have to look at it, I think, like a, like a business model. And it's coming, but I don't think it's there yet. So, um, and I'll open this up to whoever wants to jump in. I mean, I, I had Ann Merklinger on the show last week. From She's the CEO of the Own the Podium program. And, you know, that kind of gets hailed as a success a lot. And that's all about focusing on the athletes who have metal potential. Now, so is this, is this, is it going in the right direction? Is there still more to be done there? Are there are there elements to this the public doesn't know about? Uh, Peter, I'll start with you. How do you how do you see you on the podium? Well, I, I think it's it's one part that the public will know about after this game. But at the very foundational piece, it's it's looking at the sport in the local community, uh, looking at it a provincial scope and nationally. So, are we seeing? Uh, the funding trickling down to the lowest levels, encouraging the youth to come back? No, not yet. And it, it is a progress that needs to to have further conversation at that provincial and regional level to see the grassroots development of sport, period, to get those kids into the development stream and, and moving further up the pipeline so we can develop more talent that has podium potential. So there is quite a bit of a gap there still uh, in terms of identifying the best of the best. That's easy to do because we're able to follow some of our sports. But, you know, the question is, what happens after Rio? There's a four-year gap until Tokyo 2020. How do we keep the interest and the momentum going for some of our national team members that are doing well? But how do we keep the drive and the focus and the passion and the support for those that are aspiring to get to the national team and to get onto the podium in Tokyo. That is truly a, a question that needs to have a lot of different stakeholders involved. And it's more than just the COC. It's more than the, own the podium. It involves our, our national organizations, provincial organizations, our community organizations to buy into one vision and, and to really help us the legacy of of this year moving forward for the, for the next number of years. Lorianne, how do you see uh, Own the Podium and, and some of the funding challenges? Well, I think what Peter said has just hit the mark. Um, it's how do we keep the interest and the momentum going. Um, in cycling here, there wasn't a program for children between the years of 10 years old and 14. And then after my gold medal went in 2004, Wayne McKenzie started LAMP, the Lorianne Munzer program, which models Nancy Green's program, except we're on bicycles, we're not on skis. And really, um, the funding that does come from Own the Podium is great. I would like to see it taken up to another level so that it's, it's broad scope, but it also trickles down a little bit more 
you know, like Peter was saying, to the grassroots level. Because without that foundation, without the interest starting there, you don't have a lot of higher caliber athletes able to get out and race, get the experience, maintain their racing careers and keep going and then continue on. It, it, it tends to dwindle down and die out. What, what was uh, e- either of your experience in terms of when the Olympic cycle ended? I mean, I was talking last week on air about the DeFore sisters and how, you know, they captured all that energy and attention after they both hit the podium. And I think the other sister got 10th or 12th. And then the next year, you know, they were running out of funding and someone had to step in and help them. Do, do you, do you, and, and I mean, look, as someone in the media, I may be part of the problem because I'll talk about volleyball and and women's soccer a lot more during the last two weeks than I will during the other three weeks and and 50 weeks of the year. So, I mean, Lorianne, are there legitimate challenges of year one of year four in that Olympic cycle about trying to get people to pay attention and, and, and get, get the funding and try to keep that momentum going? I don't know how it is in other sports. So I could really only speak about cycling. And I know that, you know, post Olympics, uh, it really was a big challenge in terms of getting the support. Um, you know, it's not just the products, it's also the financial aspect too, because there's so much traveling involved. And then you're, you know, expected to perform and produce, you know, a set of disc wheels cost me six grand, a frame will cost you six grand. Um, and, you know, people are, you know, wanting your time. So you're trying to balance your training, your racing and, and not get burnt out. Um, it's quite a juggling act as well as, you know, just finding the money of, of how do you make ends meet, but also keep keeping your sport where there still is that interest and in keeping it going. That's, that's the challenging part. Peter, what about for you? Well, you know, I, it's, it's, it's an, an athlete will live their life four years at a time. They'll, they'll, kind of focus on a quad cycle and commit their whole focus, their their work, the sacrifices that they make to, to really believe in the ideal that they're they're going to the Olympics, they're gonna produce uh, and perform on that world stage and is it is a mindset. And it's quite hard when once you finish that quad to come back down and go, Okay, am I gonna do it again? Uh, that's another four years of commitment. What is it going to take? And going back into that cycle, knowing that, A, um, you know, it's not till another four years that the media and, and corporate support really kicks back in. So you do feel as though you are on your own again, with the exception of having your own infrastructure and support system. So it is a challenge to get going. And, and certainly uh, for those athletes that at the end of their career cycle that might be going through and this is their last hurrah, you know, you're looking at what am I going to do after this? What, what did I learn as an athlete that will, you know, that I can take into the corporate community? All the sacrifices that I spent, um, all the investments that I've made in to pursue my athletics goal, how do I transfer that out into the real workplace? So there is a, a challenge that Olympians face after the immediate games, and it, it is a challenge to get back out there. But years later, once we have a chance to reflect on this, it's it's such a blessing to go through, um, and it takes time for for an athlete to understand the ups and downs, the the valleys and the 
uh, you know, the peaks that you go through as an, uh, an athlete in their competitive cycle. So um, it, is, uh, it is an experience that uh, is very unique, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be going through this Olympic withdrawal um, phase right now, and, and it's exciting because now, you know, for most of our Canadian sports, it's looking forward towards Tokyo 2020. The team did so well. The sports did so well. And it's it will become, you know, infectious momentum that I hope will continue the focus uh, for some sports and the media going forward. Some will have to go through a rebuild, and that's just the cycle of life of, of some of our, our national team athletes and, and programs. So um, it'll be interesting to see how this momentum carries forward, but there needs to be an end goal all the time, and, it, and it's exciting to see how this team will carry forward in the future. Inside Sports on 630, Chad, just uh, recapping the Summer Olympics and looking ahead with a couple of uh, former Summer Olympians. Lorianne Munzer won uh, gold in cycling in 2004. Peter Ogilvie uh, sprinted in 92 and uh, 96. Uh, just just to sort of sort of wrap it up, um, I, I mean, we, we, we focused a lot on the funding and, and developing athletes and, and trying to make Canada great. Um, I, I mean... Uh, I know athletes get uh, get prize money for medals, uh, which is uh, taxed, which is kind of interesting. The United States, I believe, uh, does the does the same thing. I mean, I don't know. I I feel like I'm talking about money a lot. I don't know if it all comes down to that for for you guys, but uh, that's got to be, I guess, a big part of life when you're trying to achieve these dreams, Lorianne. You know, for me, it wasn't about the money. It was about pushing the limits. Uh, not only the age barrier being 38 back in 2004, um, the financial support can make or break an athlete and it can really impact your mindset, especially on leading up to, you know, an international games, part of your periodization and your planning and your racing. Um, I hate to say that it is a key factor, but it is a key factor because it will either allow you to move forward uh, with the support or it'll keep you here in whatever town or city that you're in and glued to the television. So, you know, it's, it, it's a partnership. And that's the cool part is to see how can we create these partnerships so that the athletes can go out and do, you know, like what Penny did, what Andre did. Um, there's so many great talented athletes. It's what are we going to do in the next four years for the next wave for those that are already there? Well, and that's what's interesting to me is because everybody's so excited now when you think Alexiak's going to be back, DeGrasse is going to be back. I think the women's basketball team, more realistically, is thinking medal in 2020, even though we would have loved to them to, to see them reach the reach the semifinals. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it was exciting and... I guess you're right. And, and Peter, I mean, you've been with Athletics Alberta, so you know, I guess, the challenge of trying to keep it exciting um, year to year, week to week, day to day, not just for two weeks every four years. It, it, it is a challenge. And I think for, as Lorianne mentioned, there's, there's momentum that needs to be carried forward, and, and there's a lot, of, um, a lot of challenges that have buried financially for a lot of these athletes. At the end of the day, for, for many athletes, you're only as good as your last performance. And if you don't perform on the day, um, Canadians are not used to being picked apart in the media. Um, you know, when you do well, you're, you're celebrated. 
and and certainly um you know in following Lorianne's great career too you see how well an ambassador like her has been able to push the sport forward and it's how do we keep that momentum going for the younger group of kids going forward and and then more importantly we've got a, a lot of young kids that are doing well on the international stage how do you prepare them to handle what's going to happen when all of a sudden the expectations on Penny and Andre are huge going into 2020. I, I, you know, that's a conversation that people need to start having now. How do you support them now? You know, with Penny winning all the medals that she did, she's so young. How do you get her mindset, her training, her support system in the best optimum space to prepare her to do well in Tokyo. Same for Andre in, in the sprints. That's the concern. And as Canadians, I know many of our athletes are not prepared for that. Um, it's a task that the community all has to chip in and help with. And there's a lot of things that can be done. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just a matter of you know, trying to get everybody to, to get on the same page and help each other out. Uh, well, I'll ask one more here. I don't want to wrap it up there. Lorianne, I mean, how, how do how do you teach an athlete to deal with those expectations? Because, I mean, let, let's face it, if Penny Alexiak going into the next Olympics, everybody's going to be like, well, she won four. Got to do at least that again, right? Yeah. I really liked when I was hearing Mark Tewksbury get so excited after she raced. And the one thing that really stood out was, I'm going to go and have a chat with Penny because her life, is about to change and it has already changed and you know to have ambassadors and mentors like mark and and those other olympians that have been there um there's going to be a lot of pressure moving forward and i think instead of looking at it from the myth part that there is a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow there isn't you've got to have your support system and your plan in place and i think that is a key element right there and a lot of athletes we don't necessarily think about that at the time because we're working you know as peter was saying one quadrennial at a time so every four years and you really look at things as you're planning that like that but you don't always think about the part so what happens after sport what happens after your next uh games and you're at you know four years later you came home the last time with four medals there's going to be so much pressure and expectations on there. What happens if you deliver? What happens if you don't deliver? So by having a big plan and looking at it that way, um, I mean, I think that helps in part of the pre- uh, preparation. But, you know, it's it's a tough balancing act, but I think you just got to look at it in reality time. I, I, I'm, I'm lying. I'm going to ask you guys one more, then, then I'll be done, uh, Peter and Lorianne. Because I got a text here, and this is, you know, I get this sentiment, and I'm sure you've faced it over the years in your roles as athletes and other things in your lives. Uh, one texter says, I'm all for you guys as long as I don't have to pay your way. <laughs> How do you respond when you hear stuff like that? Lorianne, I'll let you go first. <laughs> <laughs> I almost want to say next question. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think, unfortunately, sometimes that's the Canadian mentality. And um, we don't do it for the money. We do it for the passion that's inside of us. I believe in following all of your dreams, regardless of your age. And I think we also have to keep that reality-based part 
as you move forward and, you know, one race to the next race, one training session to the next training session, um, everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon, you know, when you win. And what do you do when you have a tough day? Those are your biggest and best supporters are the ones that still say, keep going, you know, keep looking at your goals, your dreams, what you've got, what's real, where can we improve, and what can we do with today right now? If today is the last day that we can perform at our best, what are you going to do? Are you going to step up and bring that champion out, or are you going to step back and just watch? Great comment. All right. Well, you Thank guys you. were great. Uh, I, I kept you for a long time, and I wish we could we, we could go on. But uh, a great perspective, and I really appreciate you guys taking the time to do this. Lorianne Munzer and Peter Ogilvie checking in on uh, Inside Pleasure. Sports tonight. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Okay. okay. Bye for now, Reid. Right on. Inside Sports on 630 Chat. Uh, you can text 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. We're late into the break. Here we go. Well, really good interview there with... Peter Ogilvie and Lorianne Munzer, two former Summer Olympians, uh, certainly uh, opinionated on uh, you know, uh, funding. Both of them kind of saying, you know, own the podium, great, but a lot of the funding isn't trickling down to the grassroots level, and that's how Canada is really going to build great athletes, great Olympians for the future. We will see what happens over the next four years and then heading into 2020. Certainly a successful Olympics overall for Canada in Rio. This portion of Inside Sports brought to you by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. You can visit actionfurnace.ca. Interesting to talk next about what's going on in the Ontario Hockey League. You get three fighting majors in a season. You get suspended going to be fewer and fewer fights in that league what does that mean for the national hockey league what does that mean for uh guys who are, are sometimes employed to do that type of thing we'll talk about that when we get back 6 30 chad inside sports with reed wilkins weekdays at six on 6 30 chad